Our scripture lesson today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these lands for two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve you for you on a remnant of, to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you so many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Our next reading is Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Gracious God, open our eyes and our minds and our hearts this day to your word, to the word proclaimed, to the words written so many years ago that still speak to our hearts and minds this day, and open our lives up to your call upon them so that we might go forth from this place and proclaim your name. For we pray this through Christ our Savior. Amen. So I came across a few sayings this week about family, and I wonder if any of them pertain to you and to your family. The first one is, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. (laughs) The other night, I ate at a real nice family restaurant. Every table had an argument going. Some family trees bear an enormous crop of nuts. (laughs) 
Family ties mean that no matter how much you might want to run from your family, you can't. Some of those might ring true for you. Perhaps this summer you have attended some family gathering, a wedding or graduation or family reunion. And perhaps you've had to take great care over the seating arrangements to make sure that one part of the family was kept far away from another. Or maybe there was a noticeable absence. Maybe there were some people who just didn't show up at all to make their feelings clear. Families, we all have them. And sometimes we love and adore them. And other times, other times we tolerate them, rub alongside them maybe with some issues. The term dysfunctional family was coined in 1958 by Nicholas Ackerman, who is an Amer was an American psychiatrist. But of course, he might, have he might have coined the term, but he certainly didn't come up with the phenomenon. Today, we read part of Joseph's story. But in case you're not familiar with Joseph, let's recap a little bit more of who he was. Joseph was, of course, the favored one, the favored child, and he suffered in his lifetime numerous injustices. First of all, because he was the favored child and because he lorded it over his brothers, they put him in a pit, hoping he would die, and then when some traitors came along, they decided instead of leaving, them, leaving him there to die, they actually sold him to those slave traders. Those traders in turn sold him to Potiphar, an official in the Egyptian government. Once there, Joseph was treated unfairly by Potiphar's wife who tried to seduce him. She lied and accused him of molesting her. And from there, he was, led, he was thrown into prison with little hope of ever getting out. When he was in prison, he did a favor for one of Pharaoh's staff, Pharaoh's baker, and the baker promised, promised to come back and rescue Joseph, but of course, forgot all about that. In the meantime, Joseph discovered he had this talent for interpreting dreams, and it was that that managed to propel him from that prison cell into the courts of the Pharaoh to warn him, to warn him about the famine to come, and from there, he rose through the ranks. It was, of course, a roller coaster life. A roller coaster life, and, all of, and through all of that time, I wonder. I wonder how Joseph made sense of the various moments in his life, how he processed all that happened to him. And today, we pick up the story where he is confronted by his brothers who have come to Egypt in search of food for their families. They had thrown him into a pit when he was 17 years old, and now here we are more than two decades later, and they come into Joseph's presence not realizing, not realizing that he is their brother. But Joseph knows. And I wonder what happened in Joseph's mind when he realized who these men were. I wonder if in that moment he remembers. He remembers them beating him and throwing him into that pit. 
I, I wonder if he remembers them dragging him from the pit and selling him into slavery for a few pieces of silver. I wonder if all of that is going through his head when he stands in front of his brothers. No doubt it takes his brothers by surprise when he utters those words, I am Joseph. It's a dramatic and emotional story, but I wonder this morning what this story of this biblical family teaches us. Perhaps, first of all, it can help us to put our own family in perspective. Maybe they have a few idiosyncrasies and maybe we don't always agree with them, but hopefully our story is not as heartbreaking as Joseph's. Did you notice when Debbie was reading this morning that one of the first things that happens in our passage is that Joseph turns to all of the attendants and asks them to leave. He wants this moment to be a private one. And it's only when he has cleared the room that he says to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? It's that declaration of identity naming himself and his relationship to these men in front of him. And that question, that question about his father that reminds us that he has not forgiven, forgotten who he is or where he came from. He's not forgotten the father whom he adored and who adored him. And did you notice the reaction of the brothers? They are stunned. They're stunned into silence and stand before Joseph with fear and guilt and shame in their hearts. Perhaps they have thought about Joseph in the intervening years. Perhaps they've regretted their actions, but they've never tried to make it right. They've never confessed their wrongdoing. They've never gone in search of the brother they sold into slavery. Joseph takes note of their fear and their guilt. He tells them not to be afraid. He offers them grace and healing. He offers them forgiveness. One of the Hebrew words for forgiveness is salak, and it conveys the idea of release, of letting go. Imagine, of, if you will, that you're tightly gripping something in your fist, and then slowly you uncurl your fingers and release that which you held onto so strongly. That is the image that that word salak conveys for those early listeners, that image of letting go, releasing. In this encounter between Joseph and his brothers, we see this offer of forgiveness. He doesn't hold on to the anger and the hurt. He doesn't berate them for their sinful acts, nor does he want them punished for all that he endured following their actions. He releases them. He offers them forgiveness. He moves on. He says to them, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God, God sent me ahead of you, Joseph says to his brothers. Joseph understood that through their actions, God had brought deliverance for the people. 
that God had placed Joseph in a place where he was able to make a difference, where he was able to protect people, protect his family. Joseph saw with the eyes of his faith, didn't allow his own pain and hurt to overshadow what God had been able to work in his life. Perhaps this morning the story of Joseph challenges us to think about forgiveness. I have no doubt that some of us carry deep wounds from things said to us or done to us by those closest to us. Perhaps we've been holding on to that pain and anger for years, and perhaps this morning this story is asking us to consider what forgiveness might look like. Now clearly there are situations in life where abuse exists, where forgiveness and reconciliation are not possible or healthy, but there are many situations, many situations that we find ourselves in where we are perhaps being called to lay aside our feelings of hurt, to allow healing and reconciliation to take place. Over my years of pastoral ministry, I have come across family after family who've been split because of some hurt or disagreement, some long ago action, some argument in the past, some conversation, and hurt feelings have grown over the years and caused great pain. And then somehow, perhaps an illness or a tragedy strikes the family, and people find a way to move beyond the hurt, to find some perspective, to decide perhaps it's time to let go, to let go of that hurt and anger, to move on. It's no surprise that the psalmist celebrates the joy of family unity, how good and pleasant it is where God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, his life forevermore. That picture, that picture of precious oil pouring down on a beard, the overabundance. That's how good and pleasant it is when we find it in our hearts to live together in unity. It's worth singing about. It's worth rejoicing over. It is such a precious thing, the psalmist reminds us, a sacred joy when we can live in harmony with one another. But it is not easy. It is perhaps not even commonplace. We all know two familiar stories of families that are in disarray, that are broken. We all have lived moments where we have been at odds with another. But Joseph gives us a model of forgiveness this morning, a model that is not easy to follow by any means. But perhaps God is calling us calling us to reach out to offer forgiveness, to reach out to offer reconciliation, to reach out to offer healing to someone in our past. Perhaps God is calling us to live out our lives of faith with grace and compassion 
and to let go of the things that hold us back, to let go of the things that hinder us from living into the fullness of his glory. Many Old Testament scholars have written that Joseph's life, Joseph's life, his experiences mirror that of Jesus's. English theologian Arthur Pink wrote that there's 112 instances where Jesus's life and Joseph's intertwined. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through all 112 of them this morning. But there is, there are similarities. Similarities that that are striking when we stop and think about it. Joseph was a favored one, a favored child. He was loved dearly, but that love cost him dearly. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery for a few pieces of silver. His life was changed. And yet, in spite of all of that, he was, he was able to use what happened to him to bring glory to God, to show God's providence for the people of Egypt. He was able to offer them hope and a future. In today's story, we find that forgiveness being played out dramatically. But I wonder what that forgiveness might look like in your life and in mine. I wonder what it might look like for us to let go of some of the past hurts that we've experienced. And I wonder what it might look like for us to offer forgiveness and grace to others, to release them, to let them go. In God's strength and in God's power, we are given the grace to do that. Just as Joseph was given the grace to move beyond all that had happened to him, to see God's hand upon his life, and to look not with bitterness or anger at his brothers, but to look with faith, to look with kindness, to look with compassion and to offer forgiveness. And so it's my hope and my prayer that we each might find it in our hearts to do the same in our lives. Perhaps there's someone that you can think of who needs to hear your voice today who needs to hear your words of forgiveness, or perhaps you need to be the one asking for forgiveness. Trust. Trust that God goes before you and trust that God gives you the strength to both receive forgiveness and offer it. And how good and pleasant it is when we live in unity with one another. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.